Welcome back to Coach Class with me, Dom Birch. This is the podcast where I get to speak to people that have had a positive impact in my career or my life and who I found inspirational. I'm delighted this week to be joined down the line by Marjorie Thompson. Now, Marjorie and I go back to, I want to say the date. I think it is 1998 when I was writing my dissertation at Leeds. And, uh, and Margie kindly responded to my little begging letter to, to be included in my research for my dissertation. Margie, welcome to Coach Class. Great to be here, Dominic. I remember this really, really clearly. So I remember being in the university library, thumbing through like this kind of CD-ROM system, pre-Google, pre-kind of worldwide interweb being everywhere, and finding an article that you'd been included in with The Independent talking about cause-related marketing. And that was what my dissertation was all about. And I must have written you... I mean, maybe it was an email. I don't know. Maybe I penned an email to you and you were kind enough to respond. And then you invited me down to come down and interview you. And that's that's where we first came into contact. It's incredible all those years ago, isn't it? And and Saatchi's isn't even there anymore. It's uh, it's now uh, luxury flats. <laughs> isn't it funny? Because I used to walk past Charlotte Street occasionally when I was down in London. And I'd always walk past what I think was your little office. And I remember you used to squeeze an awful lot of things into that office and a lot of interns as well. There were about three of us on the go at any one time. Remind us remind us about that role that you had though at Saatchi's because it was really innovative at the time, wasn't it? You'd been at the Commission for Racial Equality. You'd been running the Royal College of Nursing and then and C&D, I think. And then you ended up at this kind of old boy, very posh, everyone wearing signet rings uh, advertising agency. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a funny story and, and it, it brings in um, even people related to Donald Trump. Steve Hilton, who was later David Cameron's advisor and now has a West Coast television show called The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton, where he trumpets the good things about Trump, so he says. He was um, working at Saatchi's and um, I had suggested to my campaigns team at the Commission for Racial Equality that we try to get a pro bono advertising relationship where they would give us their creative time for free and we would be able to raise money for production costs. And my my um, uh, assistant, Lee, Louise Ansari, said, oh, you know, I've just heard that the Anti-Racist Alliance has got Saatchi's interested in them. And we'd had, we'd had a few good agencies interested in us, uh, specialist agencies from the West Midlands. And I was like, really? I, don't, I can't believe that. I can't believe Saatchi's would would go for that organization and not us, the Commission for Racial Equality. Why don't you just ring them up? And she did ring up. And of course, they hadn't volunteered to do it for anybody, either the Anti-Racist Alliance or us. But Steve Hilton said, yeah, you know, we're interested. And and that went on to be like an award-winning campaign. It was the first time ever, including when the brothers were there, because there was a bad split, corporate split. Um, they won the Golden Lion at Cannes. So I was trying to think, what am I going to do next after the CRE? You know, that had kind of been what I'd always wanted to do ever since being a kid in the U.S. during the civil rights movement. I really didn't know what I was going to do next. And I said to Sachi's, why don't we try to set up a unit where brands can partner with good causes? Because brands seem to have the communications um, now and money and spend that uh, good causes don't have. So I ended up in this environment, which I now realize was a fairly hostile environment, but I was extremely fortuitous to meet Hamish Pringle because he was not hostile. He had 
been chairman or vice chairman of six London agencies and his agency had been bought by Saatchi's before. So they kind of put him in this vice chairman role and he was kind of casting about for stuff to do and, and being a guy who's a Christian in a nice understated way, not an obnoxious fundamentalist way. He uh, cared about social issues and, and he was really, really keen on this idea. But of course we didn't have the budget to hire anybody else to help. And I ended up getting this amazing group of young people of which, you know, you were one of the superstars to come in and be interns. And it was hilarious because we'd be on that corridor with all those people. I don't know if you were there when we used to steal biscuits from the trolley that was going upstairs to the the world Saatchi people. But uh, yeah, we had a good laugh. I remember because I I was living at home. Well, I was in Leeds, but I remember coming back, living at home with my mum and dad. And you were paying, I think, for my train fare from Paddington to Reading each day. And and me and Joshua were were given like a £2.50 lunch voucher, which allowed us to go into the staff canteen and get some some lunch. And we'd play pool together. And we were just like in this amazing world that we thought we'd never, well, probably would never have experienced having been at school and university. And we were taken to meetings of people like British Home Stores. And suddenly we were there having prepared a deck for you. And we would sit there. And the thing that you did, which was at the time just remarkable to me as a sort of like wide-eyed kind of like 21-year-old or whatever I was, you'd ask my opinion in the middle of a meeting. You'd say, well, what does Dom think? What do you think, Dominic? And I remember just thinking, wow, isn't that isn't that staggering? Well, you know, I mean... My generation is a kind of transitional generation, and I think companies are even now coming to the conclusion that diverse teams are better, you know, mix of ethnicity, mix of gender, and so on. But I think I I love hearing that story from you because I like to believe that I've always been a more collaborative leader than a top-down leader, and certainly at the CRE and and later in other positions, like we would have these team meetings and we would have a rotating chair so that everybody got the chance to learn how to chair a meeting and acquire a skill. And I think, you know, maybe some people would have thought it was disrespectful to clients to bring in young interns, but, you know, half the thing about ad agencies is they, although they're composed of, you know, men in black polo necks who snort cocaine, is they always want to be in touch with the youth market and the youth vibe. And I think you, Joshua, some of the other young people that came, I want to say kids, but that's not, you know, respectful enough for people who are over 21. Um, I think that, that that you guys were a sort of built-in focus group in terms of how messages would be perceived. Now, the other thing I remember, because I, I, I really, really wanted to come and work with you properly, like proper job. And I remember I got a, an opportunity to come and work for like a PR job, entry level PR job back in Leeds for like the poor man's equivalent of the AA. It was like green flag. Who are they? Nobody, nobody even knew what they did, really, because they just rebranded. And I remember searching in that job for some meaning because, you know, I'd just been involved in these amazing tripartite schemes between, you know, rail track and the Samaritans. And I just had the most amazing time. I remember you saying to me, you need to find find the meaning in it, Dom. You're helping people. This is a recovery business, you know, and you tried to help me go in and be my full self to that job rather than approach it as kind of like second best. And I remember going into that role and going, okay, well, what can we do then as a breakdown organization? What kind of cause-related good could we do as an organization that fundamentally is just like, I don't know, an extra version of the police turning up to these 
crashes on the M4 or whatever it was. So you really like energized me to go into that job with, I don't know, with some ambition and some anything was possible. That's how I felt anyway. That's fantastic. And, and, and the other fun story I remember, of course, is that before you went for your interview, Hamish felt you should get a haircut. So he gave you the money to go to one of those posh barbers in Fitzrovia. That's, so right. That's yeah. true. And even at the time, it cost like £25. I couldn't believe anyone would spend more than four quid on getting a haircut. That's right. He sent me off to like the equivalent of Tony and Guy. And the yeah, thing was, I came back and I think I'd only had about a quarter of an inch taken off and I felt like I was almost bald. Yeah, no, that's yeah. funny. But that's, so, yeah. you know, at the time, you and Hamish were writing this book, Brand Spirit, weren't you? And, and part of what we did in addition to like getting to play at being young ad execs was we actually did some of the research that went into the book. Yeah, you did. And I think weren't you also calling up the brands that uh, we were going to feature and getting permissions to use their imagery and things like that? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember there was one time actually when the phone rang and um, and and I thought it was Gordon Brown, and it turned out it was his brother. I think you you, you knew. <laughs> I remember thinking, "Oh my God, I've got like the uh, the chance of the exchequer on the phone now." I mean, <laughs> I mean, you moved in in my head. We went on, so we went once. So this is the other thing you did. You open up doors for people. So we went to the House of Commons, and there was a Baroness who you knew, and we met, and we went and sat in what I thought was like a museum. It was like going into this really strange world. We walked into Parliament and you knew everybody and you'd been a researcher, so you just walked around the place like you owned the Houses of Parliament. I'll never forget the look on a security guard's face when you just said, don't worry, he's with me, and we just walked through. You know, and we sat in this bar and there were just these old fuddy-duddy men that were kind of covered in dust, looked like they were half dead already, which were the aristocracy. This was the lords and ladies of, of, of Parliament, of which, as a young kid from Reading, I, I knew nothing about that world. I like to think, have, even though I've been over here for a very long time, that I remain essentially American in that the kind of culture is you see a wall, you climb over it. You don't just sit down and go, oh, there's this wall, I can't do anything, I can't go anywhere. And, um, and you know... I always have felt that certainly barriers need to be taken down so that the citizens who are the taxpayers can find out how their uh, representative democracy works. And I just remember another funny story because Joshua, I was, it was great. You know, we kind of integrated Saatchi's. There are very few black people at Saatchi's. And I remember he was standing talking to the world chairman at one Christmas party and looking at everybody dancing and, and the world chairman looked at him and he goes, it's not great, is it? And Joshua goes, no, everybody's like off the beat by about one second. <laughs> <laughs> so that was probably, you know, you know, I think it was really refreshing for all of you guys to be there and, and being from a different world, because you're absolutely right, both the advertising world and the House of Lords world, they kind of are... Um, what would you call them? Self, self-referring institutions. So, you know, the children of MPs sometimes go on to be MPs and journalists, certainly the ad agencies, until Hamish, incredibly, became director general of the Institute for Practitioners and Advertising. And he and his um, president, Stephen Woodford, decided to tackle the issue of equality in advertising and get more not only uh, Black and Asian people depicted in ads, but more people actually working in the industry. And so, you know, 
I, I think, um, what is it? It's like atomic fission, isn't it? A chain reaction. Me meeting you, Joshua, the other young people, me meeting Hamish, Hamish going on to uh, that. So, I, you know, I like to think that we um, we all tried to make the best we could out of the opportunities that we had. And who inspired you? So who was, when you think back to like growing up in California, coming over to the UK, who are the people outside of Hamish who I know was a huge impact and probably still is. And I know he's, you know, I catch up with him every now and then and he's now an artist and all these things. Yes. It's kind of like... <laughs> yeah, we yeah, just some of his artwork. Who were the people when you were growing up or in your early career that really left a mark and, and either were leaders that you wanted to be more like or were just inspirational? I do remember going to Washington, D.C. with my mother to visit um, a college friend of hers and my mother said, oh, you know, poor Sylvia, she's a spinster. Like, okay, right. So your main thing in life is not really always to just go out and get married. Sylvia, Sylvia Bacon, was one of the first female federal judges. Richard Nixon appointed her, ironically, to be a judge. And so we went out for a meal. I was probably about 11. And we went to some lobster place. I said, oh, I'd like a lobster. My mother said, we can't afford it. And Sylvia said, I'm paying. She can have whatever she wants. Then we went back to her apartment, which to me was heaven. It was covered, you know, with bookshelves. And she and my mother sort of caught up. And I was reading a book about John Dillinger. He was like a Chicago mobster. And I thought, oh, I think I'd like to be an FBI agent. Well, obviously, I didn't become an FBI agent. But I that idea of being, you know, the independent professional woman and having lots of books that really appealed to me. But, you know, you have um, you have uh, high school and college uh, professors, lecturers who kind of inspire you or who believe in you. I think that's the important thing. I think, you know, maybe when I was the age that you were and, and I took a punt on you guys, I, I think that it's very important because really, no matter how confident people appear from the outside, you're just still trying to find your way in the world and wondering where you'll fit in. And so professors that I had, I had a professor of English history, George Drake. It was great when he came over on a semester abroad and I got to take him around the House of Commons because I'd learned all my English history from him. And I took him on the line of route and we went and looked at Charles I's death warrant in the House of Lords. And you know, he, he, I just took him to the cafeteria and he said, oh, you know, I never realized you know, that you would come here and be so fully part of British life and all these people, you know, and it's so great you're doing the peace movement. I think, you know, that's really influenced Mr. Gorbachev. So he was a very key person. I mean, three of the girls that were in his class, we ended up over here marrying Irish, Welsh and Englishmen. And then another professor I had, Carolyn Wilson, she was not much older than I was. She was about eight years older than I was when she was teaching us history. I'm still in touch with her. She had this incredible belief. I I, I met up with her again on my way down to Latin America a few years ago, and, and she embarrassed me because she said to my friend who was traveling with me, oh, you know, she was one of my brightest students. And I still kind of rolled my eyes because, um, you know, obviously meeting all the people that we met, people from places like Oxford and, and places like that, one could be one could be very intimidated if, if one didn't have all those all those sort of credentials. But I suppose the real inspiration for me just as a kid were some of the civil rights leaders, not only Martin Luther King, but John Lewis, who just died, I think, last year. Um, he was one of the people that marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and was, you know, 
<clears throat> attacked by Alsatian dogs and fire hoses and that sort of thing. And he, he said, one of his, his themes is, um, it's all right to get in trouble, good trouble. And so I suppose that's what <laughs> I've tried to do my whole life is be in good trouble. And if I'm making trouble, make it trouble for a good reason. What you've just reminded me of is your ability to let people know about things that you know and the people that you know and the life that you've led and the you know, the amazing history that you're cognizant of and the impact of politics and campaigning and standing for something and not being afraid, but you don't belittle people when they don't understand or they haven't heard the name or they haven't come with you. Just as you were describing that story, your assumption that people will know, but if they don't, it's okay, I think was a hugely impactful thing on me when I was younger because I think I used to sit there and feel like, my God, this woman knows everybody. I mean, literally everybody, everybody in the world, somehow Marjorie Thompson is connected to them. But it wasn't like a secret club that you had the keys to. You were just like, yeah, sure. And if you don't know them, that's fine, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Or bring you along to meet them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's funny because at the CRE, again, the um, the uh, Westminster scenario was a lot different 20 years ago. And I would take some of my staff with me to various receptions and things. And, and one of them's now a barrister, but it was so funny because, you know, I would march in with this crew of black guys and Asian women. And we, we had this buzz around us. And I think it was the same with the volunteers at Saatchi's, you know, we were kind of outsiders in the organization, but there was always you know, and it wasn't just me. It was how we all created that together, the energy and the excitement and the positivity. Uh, and, and you know, Paolo Atore, the now unfortunately deceased former chairman of Saatchi Europe, but Saatchi Italy, you know, he, he believed in good causes. He had uh, a charity inside the Saatchi Italy office called Ponte, which means bridge. And it was for... Um, you know, Iraqi children who had been affected by the Gulf War. And when he came to one of those glitzy Saatchi Christmas dues, you know, some of the mainstream people were like, ooh, what are you doing with those people? You know, the cause connection people. And he's like, uh, what did he say? Did he say those are my people or we share the same values or something like that? And that's why the second Brand Spirit book was dedicated to him because you know, he was an incredible advocate for the power of doing well by doing good. Well, Marjorie, it feels like we've just only just finished talking from the last time we spoke like a week ago, and it's probably been months and years. And yet that connection that you make and imprint on other people and the amount of people you must have inspired to go off and do things they never realised they were capable of doing I think is just absolutely fantastic. I just want to say thank you. you. You had such an important mark on me. I felt like I was lucky to have bumped into you and your generosity and, I don't know, just that confidence you give people by saying, go for it, you can. Well, I don't know if it's, um, you know, if it's like some naive optimism, but I just do know myself how important it is that people believe in you. And I, and, I'll just finish with one slight anecdote. I came over to the LSE after I did my first degree and I did a um, master's degree in West European politics. And I felt very intimidated by the other people because they were so confident and so sophisticated. They were from Harvard and Yale, just like your Oxford and Cambridge. 
And I got a letter from one of my professors when I'd done a semester abroad at LSE a couple of years previously. And he was a really important guy, Professor F.S. Northedge, who wrote the main books about, you know, international relations during the Cold War. And, you know, I was not that well read or bright when I first met him. He's like, what do you know about World War II? And I said, well, I know there was two men with an umbrella, like thinking of Neville Chamberlain coming back from appeasing Hitler. And yet, you know, once we finished the course and I was back at Colorado College, he wrote to me, he said, when I think of M. Thompson, I will think of what the French call capable de tout, which means capable of everything. And and that's the kind of thing I try to pass on to to you guys, you know, you, you have the right instincts. You were really wide open, enthusiastic and willing to learn. And, and, you know, to hear you say that it's kind of, it's gratifying, but it's also a bit humbling. It makes me a little bit tearful. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we both well up then, let me just say one last thank you, Marjorie. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you on Coach Class. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 